Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor John McDougall, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. Sometimes you just have to see it. You know how that is? Sometimes you just have to see it. You, you could try to describe it, pick the best adjectives, a thousand and one graphic adjectives to describe this thing, but sometimes you just have to see it. You could even take a picture and freeze this scene in your in time, freeze this moment in time, but that picture somehow doesn't quite capture the, the glory, the beauty, the, the majesty, the splendor. Sometimes you just have to see it, right? Put on the hiking shoes, traverse the foothills, climb that mountain path, summit, and see it. My mind immediately runs to a moment in Israel's history when Elisha, the God's prophet, was in a bad situation. He was being chased by an army, and he goes to sleep in a town called Dotham. I always think about Gotham, and uh, you know the uh, oh man, just one blank on the superhero that lived in Gotham, Batman, yeah. <laughs> but uh, and so he's asleep in Dotham, but he's shaken awake by his teammate who is freaking out. Because he woke up, and I picture him with his coffee, steps outside, and the town, and I'm picturing a western town in my mind, like from the old uh, cowboy movies, is surrounded by the bad guys, surrounded by the army. And they're not just sitting on horses and with guns. They're, they are sitting on horses that have chariots. Like, it's a massive destroying force that's around him. Now, what Elisha could have done was said, hey, to his teammate, let, let me explain something to you about who this God is that we're serving. And he could have given him a, a talk. But he doesn't give him a talk because sometimes you just got to see it. And what's he do? You remember? 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 16. He says, don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are, are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked, and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire around Elisha. <laughs> Don't you love that? He's like, Lord, I, I'm not even going to go into trying to explain this. Would you just help him see it? And when he sees it, he's got all he needs to know. Open his eyes. Well, today, it's my prayer that God would give us a glimpse of his glory, that he would help us see him as he is. Because what if for a moment, imagine just like, even in these next few moments or sometime this afternoon, God actually allowed you to see him, like pulled back the windows of heaven and you had a glimpse of his glory. Can you imagine the impact, the difference that would make in your life? You know, if, if you could see him, like, not just read about him or, or have somebody, but if, if you could actually see him, what would that do? 
to you? What, what difference would that make in your life? And I know, personally, as I thought about this this week, it'd be worship, right? We'd, I know I would, we would, I think, all just collectively kneel in humility. But also, I think there would be a, an overflow of hope as his people. That we would, yes, worship in humility, but we would get up to go into our unique life mission with some courage and with some hope. And so that's the prayer today. And I believe God wants to do that in our hearts and lives today. It's what he wants to do for us and through us. And the truth that we're going to look at today is one of those mountain summit truths that Paul takes us into around a core, a core truth upon which we build our lives. And we'll... Uh, Paul is writing to a church, the context here is a church family that's young, between five and ten years old, and there's some teaching that's come into this church that, yes, Jesus is important, but you need to add some things to him. To be close to God, to walk with God, to be pleasing to God, to experience God, you need uh, help with angels. There was some uh, talk around the mediation of angels, so you would go to God through this different angel and these ranks of angels. You need help with some new traditions and adding, you know, to the tradition of, of, uh, of Christ. And then you need uh, some deeper teaching. Gnosticism was a part of this culture, the Greek culture, and it was this higher enlightenment, this knowledge that you needed that, yeah, there's Jesus, but you really need this greater understanding, this greater teaching. And Paul writes this truth to just lay all of that out and say there is one thing that we need, and that is Jesus Christ, and he is supreme over all things. And so... As we see it, as we see his supremacy and lock in on who he is, supreme over all, it will lead us to worship today, humility and with hope. And so if you would join me in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, Paul starts here with, this, uh, with these words. He says, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. The first part of this Verse, he says, the sun is the image or the, the visible manifestation of the living God. Now, can we just pause here and let that soak in for a moment? Just the, it's a mystery, the incarnation, but what a gift. Do you want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus saying, Jesus is the full display of who God is in, in human flesh. Fully God, we have seen his glory as we see Jesus. And it brings us to the core truth of, of the day. And this is the truth upon which we build our lives that we're locking in on. And it is this. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, supreme in all things. The rest of this text can be summed up in that phrase, supreme in all things. There are three categories of his supremacy that, we, that emerge in this text. The first is Jesus is supreme over all creation. We see this in the rest of verse 15 as he says, he's the uh, image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now, when we read firstborn, it does raise attention in our minds. Does that mean Jesus was, his, his existence started at his birth, at his physical birth? And that was a heresy, actually, that began Arian heresy that um, claimed that Jesus was not eternal. We know um, he, 
The rest of this context will clearly explain this as well as the context of Scripture and also the, the grammar. When we understand the semantic range of this word firstborn, in Scripture it's used not just to describe time of birth, but status of birth. Firstborn in this culture was a position of honor, of uh, first place within the home, and in this context, a position of being heir of the father's, whatever was the father's, was the firstborn son. And that's the idea here. Firstborn is uh, Jesus. All that is created is his as firstborn within the Trinity. And what's neat about this text, too, if you if you think about um, when we see Jesus, we see God, who God is. But when we see Jesus as firstborn taking on humanity, we also see what humans were meant to be. Isn't that a cool picture? Look at Christ. You see God, but you also see this is what I was created to be like. He is supreme over all creation. And as we read on, notice the word all. It'll just, it hits like a drumbeat throughout this text. Verse 16 says, for in him, in Christ, all things were created, things in heaven and things on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. Here, the, uh, Paul is speaking into what these people were processing. The Jews had come up with four ranks of angels, and these words identify those different ranks, and he's just saying, pick your rank of angel. Jesus is supreme over those things. He says, all things have been created through him and for him. He is the beginning of all things. All things were made by him. But don't you love how he says, okay, he's the purpose of creation. All things were created for him. We know this. I think most of us would be familiar with this truth. But can we just soak in this for a moment? And it, it, it starts to just overwhelming when you stop and think every atom of this universe made by Jesus Christ all of it and every atom of this universe created for his glory exists for his glory the purpose so pick your thing I was thinking we could take a dictionary and go through each alpha letter of the alphabet and, you know, uh, say, okay, what, what, so let's start with the bees. I immediately think of blueberry pie, blue birds, barbecue sauce. It must be getting close to lunchtime. <laughs> Baby, the babies that we hold. Seas, we play that. Everything exists for the glory of Jesus Christ. And not only that, it says 17, He is before all things, so He is eternal, and in Him all things hold together. So all that exists was made by Him, for Him, but it holds together, it's sustained by His power alone. Period. We're not flying off into space right now because of Him holding our universe in, in this perfect order, this delicate balance he is the one sustaining all things so why live locked in on him you know why live our lives just locked in on on him on say this is the why isn't it this is the rationale 
he made all that is. If I hope to make it through life, if I hope to do what he's called me to do, there's a, why wouldn't I live locked, on, locked in on the creator of all things, who's sustaining all things, and for whom all things have been made? And when I get this, when, when he holds the rightful place, supremacy, preeminence in my heart and in my life, then my life will do what is right and pleasing and life works, doesn't it? But when I step aside and when I lose sight of his supremacy and seek to live life apart from him, life bonks. He is supreme over all creation. I love the, just that picture of him being the creator that's recreating us into his image. Our biggest problem is that reality that we drift from him. We lose sight of who he is, his supremacy, and it's, we call, in a word, it's sin, and sin always disintegrates. It disintegrates our peace with God, peace with each other. It disintegrates our bodies even, psychosomatic issues that are all over the place that we see and feel in a very real way today. And what's the answer? And it starts with Jesus Christ being holding the rightful place, supreme, in our thoughts and minds. Lord, your will is my will. Your way is my way. I'm locked in on you because I know you are the creator, the sustainer, and for whom all things exist. Does anybody else feel the, what do you want to do right now? <laughs> Just want to kneel and worship in humility before him? Our lives are his. But then, can you feel the hope rising up? The worries starting to dissipate. This is who he is. He is supreme over all creation. And what were we worried about? He's got it. <laughs> we belong to him. And in that, um, we have all. So this first category here, Jesus is supreme over all creation. And the calling to lock in on that second category Jesus is supreme over his church. So Paul narrows the focus here a little bit in verse 18 as he says, and he is the head of the body, his, the church. And the, uh, the Greek there for body is Soma. The, sometimes you'll see a church named Soma, the Soma Church, and that's where they get this. But uh, the church is, trans, it's the Greek word ekklesia, which means called out ones, people who have been called out from being um, away from God to being God's people. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the, the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy or the preeminence or first place in everything. And you look at this picture of who we are as his people, as the church, and it's a graphic metaphor. We're his body and in 1 Corinthians 12, the emphasis is on the fact that every, every member matters, you know, and every part of the body has a part to play and just the importance of us staying connected and playing our part. But here the emphasis is on the priority of the head of the body. And Jesus Christ is our head. And when the body becomes disconnected from the head, what happens? We're, we're dead. It's... This connection is everything, and, and so it is as we do life as his church, as his body. We must stay locked in, and he must have first place supremacy in everything we do as his body, as the church. So that when someone asks you, hey, what kind of church is Westbridge? I hope the first two words that come to your mind is we are Christ-centered. 
We're not about a denomination. We are about Jesus Christ and saying connected to him. Jesus-focused is everything. His word is what guides us. His spirit is what fuels us, empowers us. His love is to be the, the primary ethic of all our decisions. Love one another as I have loved you. His mission is our aim, and, and that mission is to take this good news of hope through him to a people who don't have this. When we get together as, a, as his gathering, our purpose is to worship him. His presence is our treasure, and I just, it's humbling to think he is with us in these moments through his spirit. He is present here today. It makes you want to just kneel in humble worship. But it also fills you with hope, doesn't it? He is here. Sometimes you just have to see it. And when you do, it changes everything. When we glimpse his supremacy, it fills us with humility and hope, with humility to surrender to his lead so that we're not praying, Lord, would you do this for me? But rather, Lord, what's your will? And I'm in it, I'm going and hope knowing he's got us. It's good. One of the great threats to God's people throughout Scripture we see is that, that threat of fear. And it just, we're easily spooked as humans, and we live by faith. We, we can't see him right now. <laughs> and so fear can get us. And we see that in Israel. They were right on the edge of the promised land, and God had done great things for them, but now they go in, spy it out, and what do they see? Giants. Now they come back freaking out. They lost sight. They were no longer locked in on his supremacy over all things. And what happens? They balk. I think we face the same danger as the church. We live in a, a we're in enemy territory here. We live in a dark world. And yet God has called us to go, not be on the defensive, but be on the offensive, taking, um, going into a world that, that maybe at times oppressive and not liking us and, and uh, facing challenges and, and whatever it may be, or facing a life mission that God gives you that seems impossible, resources, you're not sure how it's going to work out. But what a gift it, God has given us if, if we will lock in on his supremacy and uh, the hope that that brings as we face challenges. I love the illustration of this, even in Shepherd's ministry, and we, uh, Tam and I, coming out of seminary, served at a church in Wisconsin, in Milwaukee, that actually was the church where Shepherds was birthed. And, and it was birthed out of a bunch of just ordinary people, Jesus followers, who, uh, one of, it was a Sunday school class or a small group that there was a, one of the families had a, a boy with special needs and said, how can we help? And the gr class came around and they started this ministry. And God took it and went from there, but I think, what might we attempt that, that right now we're not attempting because it seems too big? If we saw the supremacy of Jesus Christ over his church and over all things. The third category that, we, uh, that emerges in this text, Jesus is supreme over his creation, supreme over his church. But the third is Jesus is supreme in reconciling us. And this is where it gets personal. Verse 19 says, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth 
or things in heaven. I love this picture of the scope of the reconciliation of Jesus. It's not, not just us, but it's all things, all creation. The, the universe, the creation that groans right now under the curse of sin, through him is reconciled. And how did he do this? It's by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. The climax of, of all history, the cross of our Lord. And then he, he says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you, in, to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and not move from the hope held out to you in the gospel. The words established and firm are words that an architect would use of, a, of building a foundation. And it comes back to this reality that our faith rests on truth, and this is core truth that, that we're to just lock in on and build our lives upon. And then Paul ends this with, the uh, ministry that God's given him, the ministry of, reconcil of reconciliation, where he says, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Could we just bask in the, the reality of, or the supremacy of Jesus in reconciling us to, to God? What, what does reconcile mean? To reconcile is to... Uh, to provide a way for two, two people or two parties who are at war or at conflict to come to peace. And the beauty of, of what Christ did for us is, one, you'll notice in this text, the initiative of reconcilia, rec, our reconciliation was never us. It was always God. It's God who reconciles. It's he who made the first move. It's he who came with humility that we cannot comprehend and with a love that we can't comprehend to reconcile us to himself. You think about where we were, and he describes it there in verse 21. We were alienated from God, all of us, separated from him by our sin. We were uh, enemies of God, and it wasn't that God was our enemy, it's that we had declared war on him as we walked away from him. And we, uh, there was a, moment this week that I just saw this, this picture of being an enemy in my mind because of my evil behavior was that I stepped out to grill the chicken on Monday and there was a couple moms who had just uh, walked at the uh, park and they were standing there talking and there was uh, like five, six kids that were playing in our yard. And I was like, yeah, our kids are grown and this is bringing back good memories. So I threw a ball out there and they were having fun and as I'm grilling the chicken though, I'm listening to or uh, hearing what they're talking about, when it came time to leave, one little guy um, who had rode his bike did not want to ride his bike home, and he got in the stroller with the other kids, and, and he's looking at his mom like she was the most evil person on the planet. Was it the mom who was his enemy? <laughs> no, she loved him more than anybody else in the world. It was his evil behavior that had made mom an enemy. And so it is for us. I want my way, and therefore, God, I don't want you. And that's where we were. But Jesus came, and through his sacrifice on the cross, taking our sin upon himself, dying in our place, made it possible as we look to him in faith for us to be forever forgiven, 
reconciled, to have a right relationship with God, to be at peace with the living God. And what's the purpose of our salvation? It's, it's intimacy. It's to walk with God and know Him and love Him and, and enjoy Him forever. And Jesus is supreme in our reconciliation. Apart from Jesus Christ, we are lost without hope, alienated from God forever. But with Him, we have this hope, this treasure. Maybe today you're listening to this and have realized, you know, I don't have a relationship with God. I, I don't have this peace or this reconciliation. And the good news that Paul describes here is that today, if you will trust Christ, understand what he did for you on the cross and confess your sin and turn to him, you can be reconciled even in this moment. And I invite you to that if, if you don't know him. But for those of us who, who do know him, what a gift he's given us through this text. Sometimes you just have to see it. A glimpse of his glory. And the core truth here is that Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. He is supreme in all things. The, uh, so what is our response? As we see his supremacy and it's worship, isn't it? It's to kneel with humility worship him to, to assign him as of greatest value in our lives and then it's hope that we would go follow him with a soul full of hope that brings us to this question am i seeing my life myself and as i look to the future am i seeing all of that in light of his supremacy over all things does he hold the rightful place the supreme place in my life and in, in every category of my life He's supreme in my thinking, in my thoughts. Am I thinking about him a lot and, and do I delight in him? Is he supreme in my friendships, my family? Is he supreme in my hobbies? And as I think about the future, is he, is he supreme in the, uh, the plans that I'm making or the hopes that I have for my career? Am I locked in on his supremacy over all things, like locked in. What would happen today if we glimpse his supremacy over all things? What difference would it make in your life? And, and it just starts to, as you think about that, what's the great enemy of our soul? It's pride, where we put self on the throne and wreck our lives. Crazed creatures, insane with the thought that we can do it on our own apart from him. And what's the antidote to pride? To see his supremacy in a way that will drain the pride from our soul, replace it with humility that leaves us on our knees before God, living for his glory alone. What if that happens to you and me today? What kind of freedom? What kind of life? And then... As we kneel in humility and we hear him say, my child, I love you more than you will ever know. What kind of hope does it fill you up with to have the supreme one over all things say that to you? <laughs> what kind of courage does that put in your soul to go swim an ocean, climb a mountain, do what he's called you to do, or just wash some feet for his glory? Sometimes you just got to see it. And when you see it, 
We live by faith, not by sight. God does his work in us and through us. And I love that story of Elisha. So when, uh, what would you have done if you're Elisha and you're surrounded by the town and you know the chariots are out there, chariots of fire, what would you have done? Well, I remember my brother Rob and I, we shared a room. We're like, man, if a burglar breaks in our house tonight, here's the plan. Cover up in your, with the covers and just play dead. <laughs> Don't make a noise. Just wait. You know, and hope mom or dad gets this guy. And uh, can you see Elisha on his bed? Hey, servant, jump in here. Let's just cover up. Let's wait. Chariots of fire. No, you read that story. What's he do? He has a, he's locked in on the supremacy of God. He walks out the door and meets the enemy in the street with a prayer. And I won't tell you the rest of the story. You can read that. It's, it's good. What would happen today as we go out and do our life if we lock in on the supremacy of, of, our, of Jesus Christ? Humility that leads us to worship. Hope that leads us to do the good that, that he's called us to do. Blaise Pascal was a, a great, gifted thinker and scientist and theologian, lived back in the 1600s, but he's the guy who said, I don't know if you've heard this quote, but most of human, humanity's problems would be solved if we would, if we had the capacity to sit for one hour in a, ro- in a room alone and just think. <laughs> but we are creatures that are addicted to a distraction and and uh, we struggle and we, we pursue that so we don't have to think about things that really matter and ultimately think about God. And, but he shares an experience that he had that he calls a second conversion. Sometimes God gives us tangible or visible physical experiences. Not, it's not all the time, but for him, this happened as he was meditating on John 17, Jesus' prayer before going to the cross. And it was late one evening. It was near the end of his life. And he describes the room as just filling up with with uh, visible glory. But he uh, wrote down some things. He, a picture of the cross, a few words, and he took that parchment and he sewed it inside his coat close to his heart, and it would remain there the rest of his life. They found it once he was dead. But uh, what, what just hits me with this story, and it has stuck through the years, is after that moment, He never signed his name to anything that he did, anything he wrote, a book, paper, article. And if anyone mentioned his name in praise, he would confront the person and say, don't put my name in praise. He he saw something, and it left him humble, but he also sold his possessions. He was a single guy, so in a position to do this, sold and went and served in a, basically a, a kind of an eccentric community that were serving the poor, and spent his life just pouring out in service and did something. What would happen in your life and mine? And that's the prayer today. And just pr- encourage you this week as you go throughout to take this text and just meet with the Lord in it. And pray, Lord, open my eyes and help me see you as you are, that I might serve you as I should. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you for just walking us up this mountain path to this beautiful summit and seeing this truth. And forgive us for the times that we lose sight of it. And, but thank you so much for helping us see again this morning. And I pray our eyes would just continue to open to your supremacy over all things, Jesus. And 
I pray that it would fill us with humility. It brings you glory. We do just kneel before you now, Lord, and thank you so much for the gift of life. Every breath a gift. Thank you for eternal life. And thank you for the treasure of doing life together and friends, our family, our church family, and all this a good gift from, from you. We also thank you for the gift of hope and just knowing that we don't have chariots of fire around us. We have the living God walking with us. And just pray that as we go throughout our week this week and face the challenges that this beautiful truth would just be supreme in our thinking. Help us lock in and follow you. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.